and welcome to Frock Flicks, the historical costume movie podcast. I'm your host, Tristan L. Bass, and I am here with one half of our original Broadway recording cast. Sarah Lorraine. And the other one... Kendra Van Cleve. ...is not with us today. Because Dickens has eaten her life. That's right. Usually we're chicks before dicks, but she has picked Dick Dick Fair. Fair. Uh, in favor of us, so screw her. Mm-hmm. Um, and we valiantly persevere without her. That's right. We ha. care. We care so much about this podcast, and, and you, are and you are listeners. Yes, that that we are going to just cut her out completely That's for right. this one podcast. Yeah, yeah, for this time. Well, maybe for others too. Because That's right. Dick Fair. Fuck. Fuck the Dick's Fairs. Yeah. Right. Dick's Fairs. Yeah. Um. Oh, I guess I have to put an explicit tag already. <laughs> Did you ex- we didn't even make one minute. <laughs> Did you expect anything more from See, us? See, here's the problem, though. It's Tristan and me, and usually when it's like Kendra, she's kind of like the moderating. Like, yeah, you know, we are the sa- the potty mouths. Yeah, we are. We are. So yeah. this is going to be like double explicit. Yeah, so just prepare your ears. Triple X, just yeah. let it, let, don't let, it let Don't let small children listen to this podcast. Right. Um, and if you ever did listen, let ch- small children listen to any of our podcasts, you are a bad parent. Or an awesome parent. True. Good point. <laughs> All right. So today we are uh, podcasting about Restoration, and Sarah is going to give us a little background on sure. this film. So this film is Restoration. It was uh, released in 1995. It stars Robert Downey Jr. Um, among a cast of considerable talent. Uh, it deals with the uh, fictional, it's a highly fictionalized historical movie. Uh, there are elements of the story that are based in fact, like the Great Fire of 1666, the Plague of 1665. You know, there's a couple of characters that are actually historical characters, such as, uh, you know, King Charles II. Um, but essentially it deals with the character, who is a fictional character, uh, of Ro- Robert, Robert Maravell, who is a physician who decides to, you know, forsake his life of academic and noble pursuits of healing people for which he has you know a gift for um and he gets uh, he gets basically sucked into the court of charles ii who then uses him as a pawn prawn prawn <laughs> it's a joke in the movie um and it's my f- husband's favorite line yes so he uses him as a pawn in a uh, a marriage uh, arranged marriage between his favorite um mistress current mistress lady celia uh, forget her last name. Anyways, she is a fictional she's character. a fictional character. Though he um, did have plenty of oh mistresses. Oh, God, he had mistresses, so many mistresses, they don't even know yes. <laughs> half of them. The, the official mistress list, I think, tops out at like eight. Yeah. I think it's eight, but maybe 12. I don't know. But anyway. Lots of them. Yeah, so this is just one and many, a, a string of many beautiful women. And apparently there is a, uh, a plot line about how the... Uh, his primary mistress, Barbara Castlemaine, otherwise known as Barbara Villiers, the Duchess of... Why am I blanking? She's Duchess of Portsmouth, right? No, she's not Portsmouth. No. Anyways, she's she's the number one. Yes. And at least at this moment. Yes. And, Early well, on. Pretty much for the whole... whole almost his entire reign. Right, she, okay. Yeah, she spends like 20 years with him. Um, and she doesn't like this young fang and this young fang doesn't like her and so the king decides that it's politically expedient to marry off lady celia and decides that robert marivelle is the perfect idiot 
you know, to, to take on the task of a, an arranged marriage. Sets him up nice in the Suffolk countryside in this nice mansion called Bidnold with uh, Ian McKellen as his, his valet. And um, basically shenanigans ensue. It, but so the first half of the movie is really all about this particular plot line of, of him, uh, of Maravel rising in the king's favor and then suddenly declining in the king's favor and getting his, his wife his, and his house and his position at court and his knighthood stripped. So the second half deals with him going back to his roots and you know finding his friend who he works with worked with previously John Pierce who is a Quaker and is like the complete total opposite uh, dealing with mental patients in Norfolk um, where he runs into Meg Ryan who plays an Irish girl who's supposedly crazy and then has an affair with her and gets her knocked up and then but he's happy and all sorts of good things are starting yes. to happen in his life and they go back to London just in time for the whole place to die of the plague and then she gives birth to the baby and is dies during childbirth because it's a cesarean section. And then almost immediately he's, you know. And he, there's the fire. There's the fire. Well, the fire doesn't happen quite yet. So he starts trying to treat uh, plague victims, but he's going now going by his friend John Pierce's name. So he has an alias and the king comes for him to heal, him, heal his favorite mistress, Lady Celia, who's got some sort of you know, possibly plague-related illness. And so he goes in disguise and heals her of this illness that's not the plague, but turns out to be pregnancy. And um, and then is, he's identified as being uh, Maravel uh, through a series of, of crises where the fire happens, the Great Fire of 1666, and he has to go tearing through the streets of burning London trying to find his newborn baby daughter, and he thinks he's lost her, and then he takes he, he passes out in this boat that takes him on this very improbable journey up to Suffolk, which if you know anything about geography in the UK, was the part that I had the most issue with in this film, by the way. Because they said it was a mere 15 miles. Yeah, right. I, no, no, I, mean, I guess he drifted. He drifted so far, and then he was found 15 miles from right. Bidnold, which is It took you a whole stated. 15 miles, yes. I'm, I'm like, you know, there's, there's at least 120 miles or so between Suffolk and right. London. So maybe 100, you know, if you're lucky. But anyways, so, suspension of yes. disbelief, it all works out. Everybody lives happily ever after. And it's based on a novel by Rose Tremaine. It was published in 1989. Apparently, the novel won great acclaim. It was nominated yes. for the Booker Award, which is a huge award. A huge uh, award for, for, um, for literary, yeah. literary award in yeah. England. Is it in England or is it in the US? Uh, I think I don't even know where it is. Actually, but I, know, I thought it was in England. I think anyway. it's just English. I think it's English language books for sure. Anyway, anyway it's a but... huge award. Yeah, and so this was a very well acclaimed novel. Mm -hmm. um, the, the the story has historical elements, obviously, mm -hmm. um, but the the real point of the story is to tell the the rise kind of, and fall and rise. rise and fall and they kind of the learn the, the mm -hmm. important life lessons learned uh by this character where you know he kind of he he wants he, he has a gift he mm -hmm. has um this this you know he, he could be a great doctor he rejects his gift there's scenes the very very beginning where his father is who's a glover which we thought was really cool because they show the glover you know yeah, he's in, his, he's in his shop and he's like totally he's like, making gloves and like... he's got making points and he's got lace. It's it's very yeah. you know it's very uh -huh. costumerly uh -huh. historically accurate. Um, but he his father you know wanted his son to take advantage of his his gift of his talents and his skill, um, and 
you know, as a young man, he, uh, the main character, um, is kind of shirking this. He's like, eh, whatever, I'd rather be whoring and drinking and, you know, just being my crazy, crazy young man self. And, um, and he gets that opportunity to indulge that further at court. Mm-hmm. And then finally he realizes, hey, wait, you know, I could be, you know, this great doctor. Not even great doctor. I could help people. I, could, I, ha- I have a higher calling, a higher purpose. And, um, and then through, then of course in the end he does get the house and stuff. Interestingly enough, it doesn't have the kind of cliche Hollywood ending. He doesn't get the girl. He doesn't get any girls. Yeah, he doesn't get any girls. He gets girls. his daughter. He gets his daughter. But he doesn't get back together with the um, the king's mistress who he had kind of fallen in love with, which is more kind of a fallen in, mm-hmm. you know, glamour with and, and that he was, you know, attracted because it was kind of something he couldn't have. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't, there's no big, you know, romantic end for him. The end for him is I'm... A doctor. I, yes, I got the house back from the king, but I'm going to go back to London and uh, you know Continue reestablish doing... the, the the College of Surgeons, mm-hmm. and I'm going to go practice medicine. Yeah, so it's a nice story of kind of the uh, like I said, the rise and fall and rise of of a young man in Restoration era England. So we're talking 1660 to 1666. That yeah. was the I think the film is actually set in 1663. Yeah. It starts in It 16, starts in, yeah. And then it spans until about 1666ish right. um, through the uh, the Great Fire. And uh, and so it's a nice kind of just a little story. It's actually yeah. and I know I hadn't seen this movie since it first came out yeah, in 95. And I what I remember of this movie is there were we have we have, we have kittens, kittens here, so please so. excuse them if they're whining a little bit. <laughs> so <laughs> they didn't appreciate no. the subtleties of this no. movie as so, we did. So in '95, I remember watching the movie, and I remember loving the first half of it because yeah. it's just gorgeous. It's, it's sumptuous. It's all of the beautiful things that you know you think about 17th century Baroque. Um, it's got gilding everywhere. It's gilding like, everything is gilding. You know, like it's so lush. And Robert Downey Jr. ain't that hard on the oh eyes. Oh my god, and, he's, uh, yeah. we were just kind of uh, yeah. One Robert yeah. Downey Jr. to go, please. Yeah, two, take two. Okay, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but then the movie just suddenly stops in the middle. It's like it, it is literally a hard cut, and yeah. then you're into part two, which is all mud. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> no, literally, not even essentially. It's. And literally yeah. not in the cliche like people yeah. say literally. No, there is mud. There yeah. is mud and there is mud and they're tromping through the mud and there's mud. And, and they, there's close-ups of mud. And it's lots of mud. And and I remember, too, that uh, one of the things that always threw me off about this movie when I first watched it was Meg Ryan mm-hmm. and thinking mm-hmm. that she had... She was just so jarring at the yeah. time. And probably because this was at the height of her career. Yes. And she was very much known for these romantic, yes. lead, you know, when little Sally type characters. And, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, and she was always very quirky and cute. Yeah. And she was clearly American and, you know, things like that. And then she shows up in a movie like this. Mm-hmm. And she's got this Irish accent, which at the time I thought was totally shit. Um, which... It didn't seem that bad now. Well, that's the point I'm getting at is is at 20 years ago, the presence of Meg Ryan in this film was so jarring. Same here. 20 years later, I look at it and actually it's not that bad. It's like her accent's not that bad. Her character is actually pretty good. She acts well in the film. I was thrown off a little by the wig because it was just so... Oh, yeah, that's right. She had kind of a crappy wig. Everyone else had... Okay, we we have... She's supposed to be a mad lady, so... The wigs in this movie were fantastic. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. The wigs and the men were so good. So Meg Ryan's 
That was the yeah. only thing about her character that kind of, meh. Yeah. But I, I fully agree with Sarah in that when I first watched this, because I haven't seen it since it first came out, mm-hmm. maybe once. I We had it on DVD, so my husband watched and I watched it occasionally. Mm-hmm. Um, but I haven't watched it in at least 10, 12, 15 years. So almost since it first came out. Um, and and I remember thinking, oh, the first half, yeah, ooh, rich, yum. And the second half, meh, Meg Ryan, meh, dumpy, meh, mud, crazy mud. red Meg Ryan. And you know what? I, I kind of wonder if mm, maybe we've, maybe we've no. grown up and, and matured. Mm-hmm. And, well, I would also think that distance kind of, you know, I haven't seen any Meg Ryan in a long time. Oh, she, she's kind of out of the, the picture. She's yeah. no longer the, the cutesy little starlet that she was back in the mid-90s. And it's been a long time since I've seen a yeah. Meg Ryan film. And so maybe now watching her in this and have not having any immediate mental picture of her like in sure. Sleepless in Seattle yeah, or something. Yeah, it's not the constant Meg Ryan yeah, everywhere. she was in every goddamn movie in the 90s, wasn't but, she? But <laughs> I also think, too, the story, while it is yeah. still a little jarring yeah. to have the super flashy half and yeah. the super muddy half, Yeah. It's not, you know, I don't know. I think that just, it does take a, a little bit of maturity. It's mm-hmm. kind of like my, I had this high school um, uh, English teacher who said, you know, you can't read James Joyce's Ulysses or Finnegan's, you can't read Finnegan's Wake. That was the one. You can't read Finnegan's yeah, you can't, Wake. You can't read Finnegan's Wake. When, when, you can't at all. No. No. Specifically, she said you can't read it when you're in, in yeah. high school because you're yeah. not going to understand until you're like 30 or 40. I've just tried. Just why I come back. Do it. <laughs> To it yet. I'm waiting. I love James Joyce, by the way. Oh, God. I've heard uh, she said, there's, just... there's certain things yeah. you don't understand when you're younger. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe this because it's not a typical Hollywood story. Mm-hmm. Again, it doesn't have that Hollywood ending. There's not happily ever after. Yeah. He doesn't get the girl. I mean, look at the movies that came out, like, right before. Like, you're talking, yeah. you know, like, uh, Dangerous Liaisons. Like, 18th century costume kind of movies. Yeah. They're movies that are very big on the sex. Yeah, sexiness and the sexy, sexy sex. Yeah, and this had sex, but it was more story to it. There was like definitely, and and I think one of the things I haven't yet read the book, and now that I've watched the movie, yeah, I'm I'm curious about how about about the book. But I was reading up on some archives, uh, archived articles about the movie um, from 1995, Mm -hmm. and when they were talking about. Because my memory, again, surrounding this movie yeah. was that it was generally panned. It was yeah. kind of like, eh. Even though it won costume, sure. Best Costume Oscar, won Best uh, uh, Direction? Art, Art Direction? direction. Yeah. Because yeah. it is, again, it's, it's beautiful. fucking gorgeous. When it's beautiful, it's really beautiful. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, I just remember that the, uh, the, the reviews were kind of like, it just doesn't work. It's yeah. really, you know, there's, it's the two halves. They're so distinct. If they yeah. had picked one, one half to be the movie, you would have had, you know, a, yeah. a fairly continuous, coherent kind of a movie line. The plots were disjointed. Mm-hmm. There was, uh, some reviewers were saying things along the line of, of the, the, it works in written format in the book, but it mm-hmm. doesn't translate the plot. They're talking about the plot doesn't sure. translate as well into the, into the film. So that's why I'm kind of curious now to go and read the book right. and see if that's really the truth. But they, uh, I just remember then, too, there was that whole aspect of, like, Robert Downey Jr.'s kind of, he went off the rails right after this movie right. came out. And 96 is when he had his, like, first arrest. And he was, you know, put into yeah. all sorts of drug rehab. And he, he did jail time. And it was kind of this, I recall, and I couldn't find any, just in the, the light digging that I did prior to the podcast. Maybe I'll look it up when, uh, when we blog about it. But I remember something about how there were issues with this movie because... 
Robert Downey Jr.'s drug abuse and alcoholism was mm. so bad that they had issues filming it, and mm. or there were delays or things caused mm. by that. But that could just be misremembering, yeah. or it could just be, you know, how how he I, was I, such a pain in the ass yeah. that those years. Yeah, and I seem to recall that a little bit with Chaplin, Chaplin which yeah, was, which was a couple years couple before years this. Before it, yeah. Um, I mean, these are early mm-hmm. his early work, and I have to say, you know, he's known today as mm-hmm. big action star, you know, Iron Man and Sherlock Holmes which is all, you know, mm-hmm. steampunk action film. And those are great fun, and I, I like him in these, those roles. But I, what I love, and I've just recently watched rewatched Chaplin a bit too, which we, should. We, should, we should totally podcast. Yeah, we really need to do that. But here, yeah. I mean, these roles, these early roles, show a lot more breadth and depth of his acting abilities. Well, I remember he was, and... he was kind of breaking out. I mean, he was he was not Rat Pack or Brat Pack era. Yeah. He, was, uh, he was kind of tail end of Rat Pack era, yeah, but he, he was... had... He right had some. Well, I think he had some bit parts and things. Yeah. I think it was like showed up in Weird Science or something. But he was he was a little he's a little younger than the Brat Pack yeah. crowd. Yeah. He's he's slightly older than you. Yeah, I think he was born in sixty five. Yeah, um, and he had he kind of come in in like the late eighties mm-hmm. as a. You know, they were trying to, I think, build him up as kind of the next heartthrob along the lines of the Brat Pack crowd. But what he was doing, I remember very distinctly back in like the early 90s in particular, was he was taking on these very, very challenging roles yes. like Chaplin. And yeah. and he was only, you know, what was he, like 22, 23 Yeah, and Chaplin is a pretty three-hour yeah. movie. Yeah, and he's doing he's doing like full-on method acting. I remember that part yeah. too. Yeah, like and that one the... he even had the old, yeah. he was old. Per- well, anyway, that's a different Anyways, movie. But, but this one too. It's just showing that, you know, he had so much potential at this period of time yeah. and it got derailed, but it's great because he's come back in the last 10 right. years and just kind of owned it and yeah. been like, yeah, I was a fuck up, whatever, let's have some fun. And and, and cool what stuff. this one shows and what I think maybe it's, this is kind of one of those hidden gem movies, mm-hmm. I think, because there's a, there's a range in this. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's got the, you know, crazy fun side and it's got the kind of depth and it's showing the evolution of a character, mm-hmm. which, you know, okay, Iron Man's fun, but there's, what evolution is there? I mean, right. Ooh. I get the thing implanted in me. I'm Iron Man. And that's it. There's your evolution. There's some pathos. There's some pathos. But, but, <laughs> but it's not that grand. It's not like, I, ha- I get everything and it's taken away from me. And I have to be, I mean, I'm a doctor. And, you know, you know it's like this This movie, he, he has everything. He goes I wanna, through everything. I, I do want to point out the irony here is that as I was watching it and I realized, of course, that the groundskeeper is, uh, at a, or the, the valet at... Yeah. Um, Bidnold is Ian McKellen that yeah. you know it's one of those weird Hollywood full circle things that you know he he goes on to become Magneto yes. in a Marvel Universe character and of course there's Iron the other Man. Iron Man <laughs> future That's Iron right. Man I mean my little nerd head was exploding yes, I know and and honestly we I keep wondering if there could be like a you know, six degrees of Hugh Grant or something for historical costume <laughs> movies. Hugh Grant was also in this movie. Yeah, Hugh, Hugh Grant is the one with the prawns line, or yeah. pawns and then prawns. We're all pawns. We're prawns. Yes, I think yes. I will. No yes. pawns. pawns. And, and and which kind of gives away. Uh-huh. It leads to the downfall and all mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Um, it's because Hugh Grant was in a lot of those kind of '90s era historical Again, movies. Again, yeah, he was very much. I mean, the he was little... in Room with a View yeah. and a lot of Merchant and Ivy that, things, and then I, you know, Englishman went up and here's the interesting that. thing about this is, you know, that was at the peak of Hugh Grant's kind of early career. Yeah. And, and before the, the the prostitute. Yeah, exactly. And all that. Before his fall his from fall. Re- <laughs> his I, derailing. Well, there, oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but here's the thing, though. 
he didn't have a major part in this movie. No, it was it just this key this seems little like scene. It, but it seems like the kind of movie that they would have come to him on a silver platter and at that time and been like, oh, please take the lead role in this. Oh, great, Hugh Grant. This is a great movie yeah. for interesting cameos. It is, yeah. You don't Sam Neill is, is, is King, King Oh, yeah. He's, he's so great. good. He's so good he at it. He is great. I love Sam Neill. And again, as I was watching this, I realized, oh my God, he's not just that dude from Jurassic Park. He is totally... <laughs> not at all. Yeah, he can totally act. That's no. incredible. But and what has he done lately? <laughs> uh, I'm sure something. It's probably in there somewhere. Yes. Well, uh, IMDb. Yeah. yeah. But, so yeah, this movie has well, a ton I, of... And I want, don't want to interrupt, sorry to interrupt no, I, again, but I was going to say one more thing about just the contemporaneous reaction of when this movie came out. That was sure. another thing that jogged my memory was that Sam Neill at that time in my mind was the doctor guy. Oh. And, and, you know, and, and so there were all these really weird character, really weird acting choices, I guess, at the time that yeah. they were putting into this movie that... I don't think in the 90s quite worked because we didn't really have the... We were associating too heavily with... You yeah, know, Sam Neill's role in Jurassic Park, Meg mm-hmm. Ryan's role, in, and whatever, in and Hugh Grant, Grant and, and all that. And, yeah, but I, I think also they were kind of, I don't know if it's purposefully, but it mm-hmm. was. I remember, do remember it being hailed as, "Ooh, this star-studded mm-hmm. production," and but they were these bit roles yeah. and these great character roles, yeah. and, and then that's, little... the, but that's the genius of yeah. it at the time. And I feel like I feel like I'm right in saying this is that I. I was the same as like all the critics at the time, mm. thinking like this is so weird, Meg yeah. Ryan, what the fuck? That that they they saw something in those in those character those actor choices that the rest of us didn't, and I think it's taken us twenty years and distance to really look at it. And totally. go, oh my god, that actually does work. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I remember when I when I proposed doing restoration um, a couple of weeks ago for the podcast because none of us had seen it in years, and I yeah. remember thinking, oh god, it's going to be a total like laugh fest. We're yeah, going to just yeah. do nothing but mock it, and it's because uh, it was so. So bad and then we get to watching it we're like actually this is really good yeah. <laughs> the costumes are fabulous let's talk about costumes. okay now let's we have get... to finally get into the costumes yeah. all right so again it starts yeah. in 1663 mm-hmm. goes to about 1666 and the, that first half is this total lush eye candy the costumes and the set oh it was Oh, it's beautiful. Because, so, Robert Downey Jr.'s character is, he starts as this kind of nebbishy doctor. He's schlubby. He's he's not. He doesn't have all He's kind of a fop, but he's not obviously got the income. He doesn't have the income. Um, He's his father's a He's spending all of his money on his clothes and whores. He doesn't even have the clothes much. He's mostly spending it. He's begging his father. That great line, that joke about the clap. That, yeah, that was yes. one of the best lines uh, in the movie, and it's within like the first ten minutes of the yeah. film, where he, where he says the father he's in the he's in his father's glove making workshop asking to uh, you know get some money to pay off his debt so he can buy his toolkit back, and, and he, the dad is at telling him you should be more like your friend John Pierce, who infected himself with smallpox or something, you know, just to, to make to, scarlet fever. That's right to make yes. to make sure that he could you know understand just, it so he could treat it. And then, well, I've done that with a clap. You know, I've done it, so I hope you think it's some small way that I've done this with a clap anyway. Your father, yeah. nice. Yeah, nice it was pretty cool. And again, as we yeah. already alluded to, that mm-hmm. scene in the Glovers, mm-hmm. yeah, um, workshop yeah. was beautiful. It was so. I mean, it, it had perfect. all those beautiful little details yeah. of these 
beautiful gloves that it was that's on a hand form. I wonder if they actually did show up on him on the king at the very last bit because that's part of the the scene where he talks about this is the glove for the the king. This is as close as you're ever going to get to touching the hand of the king. Right. And I need to go back and actually check yeah. and see. In the very last scene, you get a very clear shot of the gloves that oh, Sam Neill is wearing, and maybe those yeah. are the, yeah tie it in. Uh, but when he finally does go to court, and then he becomes uh, well, first he just goes to court, and so court. Oh. Mm. Lush. Okay, and we've mentioned Sam Neill as mm-hmm. the king. Excellent. Mm-hmm. And those first scenes, too, we mentioned the wigs. Mm-hmm. The men have excellent wigs. And one thing that's a, a great little touch is that at first, um, Andrew, or Andrew, um, I want to call Andrew Marvell because that's a poet of the era. No, but it's Robert Marvell. Robert Marvell. Um, his, his wigs are a little frizzy. Because he's, yeah. you know, he's... He's kind of shabby. He, he's kind of shabby. He's not there. But all, everyone yeah. at court, their wigs are glossy and their curls are in perfect, perfect, fine, fine little ringlets and stuff. And so he, he arrives and the king is in this dressing gown that oh, has all these little the pleats and it. it's Ugh. beautiful, rich silk. Oh my God, it's so gorgeous. Who does not want to lounge yeah, around We that? both went, we need that. Oh, <laughs> Also, why do, why do we not do more reenactment of the oh, 17th century? Mid 17th, mid 17th century. century. Yeah. It's so Charles sexy. II, it oh is. god! I know in yeah. in England they do a lot of you know English Civil War because like obviously like mm-hmm. you know Americans do American mm-hmm. Civil War, but they Civil War, bleh. restoration. <sighs> yeah, yeah. It's just it's glorious. It's lush, and the costumes, especially you know, there's. Now, for a movie with not a lot of female characters in it, they have an awful lot of background female characters. Yes, and they really, really nail it. I mean, they, and they linger long enough on a lot of the costumes of the kind of um, you know great gray masses of yes. courtesans that are at the court. Oh but my God, they're there's just, tons! But they're beautifully they're done, and and you know again the uh, the costuming. Um, the costuming did win, or it won for uh, that best, 1990, best in 1996. And, uh, and I'm looking up right now. It was now. the same costumer who did Dangerous Liaisons. Right. Who and, won for that as well. <laughs> exactly. So, And you know. also, What's funnily enough, uh, I'm looking it up. It's James Ask- Ashen. Ashen, something like that. I, I will get it in a second. Yes. But uh, one thing I will say is that same costumer also did a lot of like the the uh, first the first set of Spider-Man cost, uh, <laughs> movies that came out with Toby, oh, to- yeah, yeah. McGuire. Yeah, yeah and uh, and so that was more some of his more recent work. Yeah. But some of his previous work, he actually also did The Wind in the Willows, which was uh, came out in '97. Was filmed at Cantwell, so shout out to our Cantwelly friends. Um, but that was the same guy who yeah. did Restorations costumes, and that makes me really curious to go and watch, you know, dig that out and yeah, see. Cause, sure. And also, also he also did the one of his first credits was uh, in the late. Late 60s, early 70s was the uh, Prince and the Pauper series oh, for the BBC, yeah. and that has some really fantastic costumes. Yeah. So um, it, clearly, he has chops, yeah. and Dude they show. Chops. They yeah. show. I mean, again, to those scenes. Um, so after you know um, Robert Downey Jr. Jr. becomes in part of the court, mm-hmm. he's just you know playing around with all these women at the court, and it, there are dozens. Dozens of women in these beautiful gowns. They all look like they stepped right out of a Peter Lilly portrait, each one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and their gowns are stunning. They're just really gorgeous. And you get lots of little close-ups here and there as he kind of flits around between them. Or you just get these long shots. They're in the gardens. And they're just, they're jewels. 
They are absolute jewels. The men's suits oh, are so stunning good. too. So good. The fabrics, there's oh, there's glint. There's lots of lots of metallics in there and yeah. jeweling on them. Um, I mean, who knows? They could look like absolute shit in, uh, in real yeah, life, you know, but on film, they just yeah, glitter. And there's just gorgeous. God. Um, James Ashison or Axon, A C H E S O N is yes, the name of the costume or costume designer for this. Yeah, 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 really, really beautiful work. Yeah. And and with the men's especially, you know, you've got that the whole what is it the petticoat, petticoat breeches? Yes, thing. those awful Where, ribbony breeches. Where's like, it's so there's good. the layering? You get those the little yeah. loopy, doopy bits ribbony everywhere. Bit. The layers and the ribbons and mm-hmm. the lace, lots of lace. So they went to town mm-hmm. on getting that that fullness and that richness. It's so And that rich. is to me like the key to a really good costume movie. I mean, if any costume designers are listening here and want like my advice, um, <laughs> I know you're dying to hear it. Uh, <laughs> Tell us, Sarah. Yeah, it's, it's that it's the getting the the depth and the yes. richness on things. It's not just putting trim on it and slapping some, you know, shiny bits. Right. It's it's building that up and it's yeah. integrating, you know, the shiny bits in into the rich bits into yeah. the you know just the rest of the the overall outfit and i think they really managed to it's a perfect visual example yeah. of what i'm talking about is what they did in this movie where it's not just slapped on yeah it's actually it looks like it was woven into the costume yeah. process but uh, like, you know i, I can't I know. even like put it and, in and words. it's it's the it's just it's, a feast for the eyes it's the thing that i love and okay. that i always like wish i could do in my own costuming i try I, where it's hard where you get um like on a sleeve mm-hmm. where you get that it looks like there's five layers of stuff coming out mm-hmm. and whether it actually is five layers of things that they're mm-hmm. wearing it looks like it is yeah and I don't care if that's wholly theatrical and you just got things tacked in there. I don't care if it's done yeah. accurately. It looks on screen like it is five layers. There's, a, there's lace dripping over your hand and then there's a, a cuff and then there's ribbons and there's ties and they could all be totally faked. I don't care, but it looks. <laughs> and also each of those fabrics mm-hmm. looks, it drapes. It has the right drape. That's so it looks old and it looks it looks used. And there's several there's several different scenes in the, not, throughout. Not used in a bad yeah. way, but you know, used like it's real. Right. It lived in. It lived, lived in. in. Yeah. Um, and there's several different scenes in the movie where you see, uh, you know, various characters in states of undress, and this is particularly for the male characters, yeah. like the king and and Maravel, um, especially when they're talking about the the court scenes, and you get to see how everything is constructed, and or not constructed, yeah. I should say, like the the overall look of what's underneath yeah. the coat, what's underneath the vest, what's underneath, you know, that that whole layering. It, it's the only way you can get that look, and it. I was I was definitely there, pretty. There are a by few that. scenes where it's just it, it's pretty clear. There's mm-hmm. there's a shirt and there's a big coat. Yeah. Uh, well, those were like the the robes. No, no, where there's there's a. There's one or two, okay. and I, I think it's more on Marvel than on the King, mm. where he's just like he throws a coat on over a shirt, and then mm. the coat has mm-hmm. a bunch of stuff on the cuff. So it's like, okay, that's probably tacked in. I didn't notice that, but yeah. But it's, it's so it's it's one of those things he walks by, and you're like, I don't care. It looks good. I did like it one of the one of the good. best visual visual kind of keys to the whole movie was um, during the scenes where he's 
he is exiled essentially to Suffolk uh, at Bidnold. This is Maribel. And he has to go back to London to kind of, you know, beg forgiveness of the king for falling in love with, you know, his wife, which he's not supposed to do. Um, and he comes back to court and he's wearing outdated clothing that are mm. o- still over the top, but mm. it's completely outdated. And you see the difference in like, you know, whatever a year difference when he last had the costume that he wore mm. at court and it was up to date. And now the style has changed. And that happens a couple of times where he's still wearing this red and gold petticoat. Yeah, he wears that one Short cropped, you know, yeah. doublet look that's just ridiculous. I mean, number one, it looks ridiculous. Yeah, number no, two... It is outdated compared to what the rest of the men at court yeah. are wearing, which have now transitioned to the frock coats and the and the vests and things. And uh, so I like that visual cue that he's been put out in the boonies <laughs> and he's behind the times, but yeah. he's still wearing the nice stuff that he paid a right. ton of money for. <laughs> right. So yeah, yeah, that's I, I give it I give it uh, I give it a ten out of ten on yeah on costuming. It's it really good. It's you know it's got the full package because it's got it's got pretty much hair package. and makeup package. Pack- oh, yeah, it's also got of package. package. <laughs> okay, forget. Can hold, I can I just say we'll, hold on for a moment? Can I? Get, I'll, I'll go back to the the, yeah. the full assessment. Let's go to the feather. The feathers. The, the feathers. feathers. So the scene, of course, Three the feathers. marriage scene um, of when Maribel marries Lady Lady Celia. Yes. Uh, they are put to bed ceremoniously, of course, right. and the scene leads into that with uh, him running around, being chased by a horde of men. Yes. Wearing a buck naked, him. buck naked, wearing. He's just got like... the full bottom wig on. <laughs> Wearing something that's, I guess, somehow or another stuck over his junk, but has these three feathers. Three are, big you know, ostrich feathers. That are, that are pop, you know, sticking out of it. And he's running around, the feathers are waving. It's hysterical. Yes. And then, of course, at one point, as he's laying in bed, he's fanning himself with it. With it's his very feathers, funny. yes. But I also want to say a moment of silence for um, for uh, Adrian Brody's towel in uh, The Affair of the Necklace. Has that been tr- trumped? No, no, I don't know if it's been trumped, but it's, it's a close contender for <laughs> best use of Something other than a costume. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. We have dueling towel versus feathers. Dun, 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 dun. Wow. Yeah, that's a tough one. Maybe we'll have to do a, a poll on that. Who yeah. wore it better? <laughs> who, who didn't wear it better? Yeah, uh, exactly. Yes, yeah, so you can sound off and you can you can you can let finally... us know on Twitter at Frogflix. You want Adrian Brody's towel or Robert Downey Jr.'s feathers? So I will... let us know. <laughs> One, okay. of, one of the things I will say, though, is that those feathers were, like, the one major thing that stuck with me 20 years. Yes. Was the scene the with feathers. him with the feathers. Oh, and... that scene with me. <laughs> totally, yes. I, you can I, tell it was the, I the was... running. The little yeah. running And with the scene. feather going... <laughs> I didn't remember the fanning as much, but I remember the running. <laughs> He's wearing the big, big, huge wig and the feathers... Oh, it's worth watching. Yeah, definitely yeah. look it up on YouTube. It's yeah, worth I'm it. sure that you will. We'll embed a clip. Don't worry. Um, but I was giving the whole summation about because back to you. back to that. Yes. So um, it does have the full package, as it were, in that um, everyone has excellent wigs, makeup. Like um, again, oh, Hugh, Hugh Grant's character, who's who's the painter, is very foppish. He has multiple his Lincoln patches. green, his Lincoln, Lincoln green. green suit. <laughs> But he has makeup patches, you know, um, that most of the women, the women usually have the, the ridiculous uh, 17th century yeah, hair the with poodle the, hair. the crazy poodle hair. Um, again, the men's wigs are excellent. Oh, my God. They're so they're good. They're really good. I wonder who did those wigs. Wish they said. I yeah. wish they, well, I mean, they probably did like hair by, but. Yeah, you know, it's, yeah. I'm sure it's on IBD. Yeah. IBD. 
Um, but it's all, it's, it's, you know, so often, you know, having looked at so many historical costume movies, you know, the, the costumes will be okay, but the wigs will suck or they'll have modern mm. makeup or, or modern hair or modern hair or, or they won't have enough accessories. Like right. here, every, every top to bottom, head to toe, tip to tail. That it was, tiara. During the, uh, the, the, the wedding, wedding scene. scene. <laughs> yeah. The wedding scene. Has a tiara to die for. Oh, my God. And the, and the guilt, that wedding scene has oh, every, the so set good. direction, too. Yes. No wonder it yeah. won an Oscar for art direction, too, yeah. because the sets were stunning. A lot yeah. of it was filmed on location. But yeah, some of those interiors, good. obviously, were, you know, yeah. on, on, a, on a soundstage. And they gilded the fuck out of everything. Yeah. Like, how much gold paint do you have? And we'll take it all and we'll put it on everything. Because, yeah, this is go for Baroque. Go for Baroque. You know, they invented that for this, for that first half. Tristan made a pun. It's very funny. Uh. Yes. I, I am pleased. Uh, but let's so let's talk about some resources. All right. So yeah. let's go for some resources. Okay. So, so I picked a couple of She's books. got a stack of books with yeah. pictures. With pictures. Because um, so I've only got some websites yeah. that I'll put into uh, things later. So first so. of all, I want to mention a book that I forgot to bring over, but I have and that I love. It's called, uh, well, okay. So I, want, I must have a little bit of a caveat here. I cannot pronounce the name in Swedish. I only can really do... And we apologize to our few Swedish listeners. I'm not even going to try. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it, it translates to Lions of Fashion. And it's about wow. the... Uh, I know. It's about the menswear in the 17th and 18th centuries in Sweden. And the Swedish court has... Or, sorry, Sweden in general has a, a an incredible collection of court clothing from, you know, that, that time of uh, period of time. I don't know how in the world... They decided to preserve it, but they did, and thank God, because it's incredible. And so this book, The Lions of Fashion, is a catalog of some of the you know, many multitude of garments that they have um, preserved from the reign of Gustav II or something like that. It's a Gustav. I, yeah, it's a Gustav. Anyway, and uh, all the way into the 18th century, early 19th century, and it is opulent and amazing, and mm-hmm. it's an expensive book, but if you can get your hands on it, I, it's well worth it if you're or interested. Or if you know a friend who has it. Yes. <laughs> Come and borrow mine. <laughs> um, it uh, It's well worth it to look through it if you love Baroque fashion at all, if you're into 17th and 18th century clothing, um, menswear clothing in particular. Uh, the other t- three books that I have to recommend, one is Fashion and Fiction by Eileen Ribeiro, who is an so art historian. Good. I, I, yeah. I, I will just say, if you ever get a chance to buy any of her books, just, mm-hmm. just buy them just, uh, just because. She is a fantastic she's, she's author. She's an, she's an art historian, which makes her uh, kind of, you know, she's sort of the woman that I wish I could be when I grow up because <laughs> if we're getting my degree in art history, she's basically legitimized the field of clothing study and fashion study in our, as an art historical, uh, you know, pursuit. Um, so her book, Fashion and Fiction, Dress in the Dress in Art and Literature in Stuart, England, is beautiful. It's a big, almost coffee table size book. It, uh, it looks at uh, mainly portraiture, um, and in the 17th century, uh, during the mostly mostly during the court of Charles II, but also Charles I. Uh, and I believe there's also a tiny little bit about Cromwell in there because who can have any yeah. discussion about those two? It happens. Cromwell. Um, it's eminently readable. That, it is. That's what it I love about Ribeiro. She, yeah. she, 
she she's an academic, but mm-hmm. she she writes really well, accessibly, accessibly, and yeah. it's it's just readable. Yeah, it's it's not like Edward Said. Um, yeah, yeah. My God, <laughs> uh, and even bell hooks. I mean, yeah, <laughs> and even to some extent, um, uh, what's her face? Uh, the one with the patterns, or whatever. Not. Uh, are you talking about um, Susan North and no Janet Arnold? Sorry, oh, Janet Arnold. Sometimes okay. Janet Arnold. I'm yeah. just. It's not readable. It's it's just like. Well, that was me dropping my glass. It's luckily it empty. it's empty. Thank you. Party foul. Sorry. Um, but, but yeah, <laughs> Ribeiro is, yeah. is just so readable and mm-hmm. so insightful. And, you know, I'm glad you brought that book because Good. I don't have a copy anymore. I'll have to lend it to you. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, the other two books that I'm going to mention are 17th Century Women's Dress Patterns, book one, and 17th Century Women's Dress Patterns, book two, edited by Susan North and Jenny Tiramani. And we will all know so Jenny Tiramani uh, as the fabulous costumer from Mm -hmm. the Globe Theater and also she is a former student of Janet Arnold she holds most of Janet Arnold's archives um, at currently and is kind of uh, working through those at a you know uh, a a deliberate pace in order to do some more you know publishing of some unpublished materials that Janet Arnold had been working on prior to her death and Susan North um, who I've had the pleasure of meeting a couple of times she's amazing a really cool really cool woman and she's a great um, speaker too she's a good speaker she is or I, I believe she still is the uh curator of the costume and textile collection at the V&A from 1600 to 1800 well, she was taking yeah I think she was taking but she was a, taking a sabbatical, uh, a sabbatical to get her right her PhD um yeah. last couple of years she's been working on her PhD in Scotland and uh, I think she's pretty much finished it last time I talked to her she? she said she was more or less done with it oh fantastic so, That's good um she's incredibly friendly too so I mean if yeah, you can get is. in touch with her if you have any questions seriously absolutely get in touch really with her. wonderful uh, <laughs> it's it's kind of nice you know to know that these people who are, who are sort of the goddesses of, yeah. of what we nerd out about are actually very easily accessible once That's you really you know get in touch with them they're more than happy to talk to you um so those are my two uh the one thing i will say about the 17th century women's dress patterns is that they're very much in the spirit of janet arnold um and they show uh uh, extant garments that have been x-rayed and so that's a, the cover of both show uh dress uh book one shows a 17th century gown that's been x-rayed you can see the boning lines <laughs> in it and the you know all sorts of cool stuff and then the book two shows a corset that's been x-rayed so they have all of this throughout the throughout the book just these really interesting ways of looking at clothing from the 17th century yeah. so Tristan. And I will say that um, if you're interested in this period, particularly if you like, you know, the first half of the, the movie and you're wondering, oh, what are, you know, what are some of the things that they might have been inspired by, by to create these really beautiful, lush, gorgeous um, uh, images, particularly for the women, look up some of the portraits by Sir Peter Lely, L-E-L-Y. He was uh, one of the official court painters. For... He was the court painter. Well, there was a, there was another one after. Yeah, him. well, but he, he was, was he was the, the one who painted all the mistresses, the beauties, the beauties. Yes. yes, and a lot of those paintings hang in the Hampton Court Palace right now. Um, they are pretty much life size. <laughs> I've seen them; they're they're gorgeous. They're life size images of these women that um, the Charles mistresses slept with Charles II's um, mistresses, his, his hotties, <laughs> and uh, they're. There are this artificial but stunning representation of the idealized, beautiful, idealized female form of the era. And um, th- he did a lot of other portraits too, but those ones, um, you can look them up. They're on Wikimedia Commons. Um, they're all over the net. You can find them. It's no, no big deal. Um, 
they just really show kind of the ideal of what this period valued. And some of this you can definitely see in this movie is that that's what they were trying for. In fact, some of the scenes where, um, uh, what's her face? What's her name again? Cecile? Cecile. Celia. Celia was getting her portrait painted Mm -hmm. um, by Hugh Grant's character. Uh, She's wearing a posing gown, uh, much like in these portraits. And so the portrait painting um, trope is huge in this era. So I think Lely's uh, paintings are just, they're so iconic. They're so representative of this era. Uh, also, a lot of, as I mentioned before, a lot of English groups uh, reenact the English Civil War era. So there's so many websites about um, their recreations. And so that's a little earlier, but there's a few that do kind of just post or have resources for post um for the restoration era as well and um i'll i'll you know post those up uh later on the blog um but i do i I really think those those portraits are you know the way to go lily is definitely or he's he's the de facto portrait painter of that period yeah and Um, that is really kind of the visual that's going on here also some of the locations um, some of the lo- some of the seventeenth century locations still exist in England, and particularly like the banqueting house mm-hmm. in London, is still exists. And and those I, I didn't I don't think they filmed at that specific no, location. No, they filmed a lot around uh, Wales, Surrey. Right. Um, they did uh, Dorset. There are a couple of locations. I'm not exactly sure right. in particular what places were those. But the, that, those but... were definitely the inspirations mm-hmm. because yeah. they some of those places still exist, and they can use that you know for uh, to getting, I mean, again, it won an Oscar for art direction for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, they they were definitely very well, very accurately channeling the spirit of the era. And I think I think this is a good example of a film where the art director, costume director, and the director director yes. had all done their homework. Yes, and were all in alignment as to really? what the vision was, really? and it was a very strong vision. And I think that unity really came out in the film. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's one of those things that if you're a student of film and you want to <laughs> you want an example of everybody being in the same page, this is a really good example of that. Yeah, it's surprising. I, I, it's funny because you know, we both sa- said, oh, you know, we haven't seen this since it came out. We're just going to kind of make fun of it and stuff. And mm-hmm. I think we were both really impressed mm-hmm. and surprised. And so if you haven't seen this since it came out, you know, I'd say give it a, a take. Give it a second take. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll be pleasantly surprised if you haven't seen it at all before. Oh, then you'll then you'll be like, just go for it, enjoy yeah. it, pour yourself a bottle of champagne, or I'm sorry, a glass of champagne. You can drink out of the bottle. I won't judge. Yeah, we don't judge. <laughs> um, if you're like us, you'll, a bottle. Be yeah, good. just forget yeah. the glass. Just go for um, the bottle. bottle. So, um, any last thoughts? Uh, you know, I don't really have any last thoughts. I think we pretty much hit all the I think high so. points. You know, yeah. one thing we haven't done, hmm. we did not make fun of Kendra. Oh God, that bitch. God. She missed all this. We, you know what? We proved we don't need her. I know, right? <laughs> right. Let's wait until we hear all the people being like, "Well, actually, I like it better with this." Was a, okay. Sarah and Tristan. Also, <laughs> at Frogflix on 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 Twitter and on Facebook. Go to our Facebook page and tell us how much we didn't need Kendra. Yeah. Ha! Tell her what's left, what. She left us for Dick Fair. That's right. Chicks before dicks. Bitch. Okay. So. <laughs> 
Um, again, we told her we were going to razz her, so don't I know. feel too bad. And we didn't even get to it because we liked the movie so I know, much. Right? We were going to spend this entire podcast just telling the world what a big jerk she is for I like know. blowing us off for Dickens. And and we just we had such a great time. So <laughs> hey, well you know okay, we're going to try. Our our goal is to podcast more often. So occasionally you may miss one or mm-hmm. two. Well, not two of us. Well, there will at least be two of us. Yeah, we don't know who. So it's a mystery. Um, anyway, so, uh, catch us on our blog, frockflix.com, on Twitter, frockflix, on Facebook, frockflix. Did you, did you notice? Yeah. There's we, a theme here. Frockflix. Frockflix. I, you know, I made sure we grabbed the frockflix thing yeah. on pretty much every Um, and also if you're subscribing on, on, on iTunes, please give us a review. Uh, a nice one's good. If it's a bad one, you know. Well, at least it tells us what we need to improve. That's you know? right. I, I look at it positive. I can take constructive criticism. We like constructive criticism. If you're just all like, it sucks and I hate it, that's not helpful. Yeah, really. Tell us fuck why off. you hate it. Um, <laughs> and then fuck off. <laughs> and then fuck off. But we are open to constructive criticism. We also um, would like suggestions for things to podcast, good movies, crazy, sucky movies, you name it. Uh, we'll catch you later on the flip side. And... Um, There you go.